0: From Grooveview Studios in Columbus, Ohio, this is Getting the Brand Back Together, a podcast exploring the interdisciplinary art of banding, branding, and business building. Rock and roll relic, poet, writer, and brandist, I'm your host, Brad Circone. Today, we're joined by James Rorace, the founder and CEO of The Florist Group. Welcome to the show, James.
1: Great pleasure to be here, Brad. Thank you. It
0: is. It's great to uh, sit down and talk with you in this atmosphere. I know we've done podcasts together, not on getting the brand back together, but we've done it for some mutual clients and associates. Right. So and many, many performances yes. over the years. yeah, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's good to talk face-to-face. So I just want our listeners to know that the gentleman that we're talking to today about getting the brand back together... Our organizations have done a number of projects together over the last decade, and James has a plethora of leadership, business, and sales strategy, growth business, growth knowledge that I want to tap into today. And that comes from 10,000 working sessions, 100 industries, one man, (laughs) one man with three brains. (laughs) And this idea of leadership and sales and branding and mark ops and marketing operations and thinking about the trilogy of that, because while James is uh, coaching and mentoring leaders and their sales management teams on what we're calling this idea of a uh, perpetual growth curve, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, our company is a complement to that in that we do branding. So oftentimes... I will refer uh, companies that I'm working with to the Florist Group, and reversely, James and his team will refer uh, companies that maybe aren't mature enough in branding, and you see a gap there. And we we help each other yeah. on behalf of our clients do those yeah, things.
1: It's a, yeah, it's a great it's a great hand up. It's great to have a band member that I can count on.
0: Yeah, yeah, well said. Yeah. And so today, one of the things I want to talk about was a, a piece in Harvard Business Review. We're just going to use this as, a, as an academic springboard. And they were talking about this idea of leadership brand, which you and I have been living right. together for almost a decade. And, and what that means and how they connect. And first of all, the things I want to talk about that are in your brain and my brain are, are is this idea of leadership, this idea of sales, and this idea of brand. Right. and how they sit in this operational organism we call <laughs> business growth right? Or business building. right, right. Can you tell me when you think about these things, whether you're doing it from a, a sales growth projection or you're doing just high-end leadership consulting, how do you talk to businesses about those three assets, leadership, sales, and branding, and how they work together?
1: Right, I mean, it's a wonderful conversation because it's a... It's a holistic conversation, right? We talk about practicing sales as a leadership competency. Um, As a salesperson, a a good salesperson is someone who knows what they stand for, right? They approach the conversation uh, in a way to drive mutual growth, mutual benefit, right? Uh, It's not a zero-sum game. So I have to know what I stand for. I have to also understand the characteristics and qualities of the person that I'm here to serve so I can qualify them for the shared goal, so I can walk them down a shared path. So what branding does is it lets me as an employee of a company that I didn't found understand who I am, why I'm here, what I stand for. Who am I ideal, or what we call to what we call an always buyer, an always customer, what they, what characteristics they have, how do I talk to them? How do I help them understand that I do know them very well? And I can actually help them complete their sentences because I know them so well. That all comes from the wisdom that is collected over the years within the mindset and the knowledge base of the of the company. And it's expressed in an effective way by the people who run the brand and who run marketing. It's very strategic. And that voice is given then to every employee, every salesperson, every leader, so that that connection with the market can be made. Right.
0: And when we talk about leadership brand, one of the things they bring up is this idea of reverse designing a brand. And that's why the Harvard Mm -hmm. Business Review article Sparked my interest. And they have a statement in there that says what they want to be known for by the customer and then linking back. Think about how many brands don't know what they want to be known for. Right, right. So what they mean is, what impression is Harley Davidson leaving on me? What impression is Amazon leaving on me? What impression is Hallmark leaving on me? How do I feel about uh, pre-pandemic? How do I feel about Zoom now coming out of a pandemic? My emotions have changed about this brand. And I love this idea about linking back. So that phrase from Lexus, the constant pursuit of perfection, that comes from the customer. That's what the brand wants the customer to feel. And when when you and I talk about these subjects, we talk about humanizing. And that's what you wrote me back when we were talking about this topic today. It's so important to humanize the brand through humble leaders. Humanizing the brand through a humble leader. You use the term servant leadership all the time. And I now notice that you are calling associates, employees, stakeholders, investors, volunteers. Right which I love (laughs) that you're using that term. And I think I understand why. But as we get in this conversation about humanizing brands, humble leaders, and listening to the customer, let the customer democratize and write the brand for you. That's the perfect messaging. Don't invent it. So my question would be this to you. First, how do you humanize leadership in CEOs or uh, let's just say leadership team? And then second, tell us in humanizing leadership, I guess what I'm really interested in is this other idea of why are you using that phrase volunteers when you talk about right. associates and stakeholders?
1: Right, wow. Now, dude, you're, if I was training you to be a great salesperson, I would I would suggest you ask one question at a time. Okay, <laughs> so, okay, so
0: humanize for me
1: leadership. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Humanize leadership. Here we go. So I think of, I have a definition of what? Three, three definitions are characteristics of a great leader. One of the definitions is that a great leader has core values that are humanizing. Hmm. A poor leader, and if we weren't here, I'd use different expletives to describe the kind of leader that I'm talking about, would de- has core values that dehumanize. Hmm. So it's e- sometimes it's easy to understand uh, for our primitive brains to just create contrast. I include myself in there as well. Yeah. d You know, if you want to know what humanizing is, imagine what dehumanizing behavior or core values are. Right. So, you know, we can talk about that. I mean, we see it in politics. We see it in business. We see it in the controversy, all the controversies in the news. Behaviors and core values that are humanizing versus behaviors and core values that are dehumanizing. The question is, how do you want to show up as a leader? For example, are you confused by the profit motive and the humanizing motive? Okay, if hold you, on. <laughs> that's, a, that's a
0: brilliant statement. Are you confused by profit, the monetization, or the human moment? Yeah. And by confused, you mean blinded to the human because of the profit or the other yeah, one? Right? Exactly.
1: If you're confused, then you're, then you're, by definition, someone who needs some work. <laughs> All right? Again, I could use other explanatives. But I love we the way here. you're, I know.
0: That's beautiful, And it's a Friday and you do let explica- you let it go on Fridays usually. <laughs> but I've got you in the AM hours. Mondays,
1: Tuesdays, yeah. Sundays, Saturdays. Yeah, that's that's a okay. big big deal for us to be thinking about. Okay, that's a great point. All
0: right, and then my of course my second question is tell me about why you have selected because I know etymologically you and I talk about branded language and how important it is to those you serve when you have this word, you know, volunteers. Why did you use that for stakeholders, employees, and associates? Yeah.
1: You know, this, I'm going to give a plug to an author, James Hunter, who wrote a very simple book on servant leadership. And it was the one that, I mean, I bought volumes and volumes on servant leadership. And so, at the end of the day, you don't have to go full academic, you know, mode. You can read a book like The Servant by James Hunter. It's a parable. It's a story. But one of the most powerful things that he mentioned there is that that people who follow, right? We have to treat them as volunteers, people that have a choice. And that connected really well with what I believe to be true about earning the right to ask, earning the right to lead. By thinking about earning that, I have to, I put that on myself. What am I doing to create the connection, to bring value to somebody? There are a lot of leaders out there who manipulate, who it's so uh, force, true. right? And, and I'll give you a great example. When I was growing up as a kid, my dad sold insurance. So I'm a fourth generation in the restaurant biz. My dad left the family biz. I just want to okay. tell everybody, a restaurant
0: biz near Buffalo, upstate New York, right. right? Buffalo. Right. Buffalo, yeah. Yeah. So just yeah. all I have
1: to say is he knows how to make a chicken wing. <laughs> I'm a much better eating, but I'm definitely a connoisseur, my man. Definitely a connoisseur. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, love the hot sauce. But the, the <laughs> bottom line is here, Greek, you know, think about it. Greek, greasy spoons, all that stuff, four, right. th- four generations. And my brother's carrying on the tradition. But he was, in the re- he was in the insurance business. He was being trained by Allstate when I was being born. But back in the day, so he's in the, in the 60s, right? Back in the day, how did they manage sales organizations? They, they hired you young. They wanted you to get married. They expected you to buy a car you couldn't afford and buy a house you couldn't afford right away. Why? Because they wanted you coming to work hungry, in debt, so that you had no choice but to make money. With a tight belt. Yeah. It's like, that is the ultimate, that is like the ultimate effed up experience. And it's, and it's- Well, so that's backwards dehumanizing. And and think about the experience that people have now when they deal with those kinds of salespeople. Those salespeople are treat, those salespeople are led by people who are dehumanizing them what do they do to their customers? Why do we think salespeople in the sales profession sucks? Because they, <laughs> because they make us… De-evolutionize. And they, so, they essentially dehumanize the yeah. buyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And so when Brad, now you go do something with that as a branding guy, right? You write a brand that's, that exalts the company. Yeah. And then go have it delivered by oh, people who oh, it's, dehumanize oh. hey, the Hey, hold buyer. on a second.
0: You know you and I have done this together. We can't name any <laughs> names. But we've had this, right? The the brand's beautiful, the sales are beautiful, all of that is great. But it's handed off to either ignorance is easy to fix. That's just through education. But a dehumanizing attitude sometimes is unfixable. Right? It's the unfixable fix.
1: But you know, I'll tell you what though, brother. Every human being on the planet that is leveraging or using dehumanizing principles and practices, mm-hmm. would feel better about themselves, about their job, about their life, about their future, about, about whether they could be happy or not if they knew how to get what their employers wanted. Without doing that. Without being manipulative. Right. Right? So right. all we really have to do is teach them. And, we, and it starts with leadership. Do the leaders of your organization recognize that they can have both growth mm-hmm. and an authentic approach to how they treat people uh, and their customers.
0: That's a great point. And tell me on this, let's stay on this track of humanizing. Do you think it's more difficult for, this is interesting, I'm toggling this around in my own brain right now. Is it more difficult for a B2B to understand humanizing leadership than it is a B2C? Because the B2C is closer to the customer?
1: In reality, in my opinion, my experience, there is no difference. Okay. I agree with you. There's Because it's your, the buyer is a human being in and, of, in and of themselves. Right. And you and I have talked about this. Brand, in, in a sales context, a stronger brand shortens the buying cycle. That's right. Right? So there's a connection between that human being and the brand and what it means to them. If the brand is strong, you're going to shorten the buying cycle. Exactly. You're not going to minimize the requirement for a for successful leadership, for that salesperson to lead them to a successful buying decision. But the brand does have an impact in both cases regardless. Uh, the, The challenge, however, is that for both organizations, B2B and B2C, when the company and its leaders rely too heavily on its product to differentiate, then they lose sight of the potential for their people to differentiate. So I love. Uh, you have a great brand, right? You drive a Beamer, you drive a Mer- Mercedes, whatever the hell it is, and you go to the dealership and you have a piss poor relationship, right? Why? This sounds like this has happened to you. What, uh, <laughs> what gives you that idea, man? No, but think about it. I mean, you have a crappy relationship um, or experience, you know, and now you have to love the brand in spite of that. What if organizations invested as much in developing their people as they did in developing their products and and really added the experience to the calculus of that brand.
0: Perfectly said. And the answer to your question is brands like Disney.
1: Mm.
0: Right? Well and done. So, so, yeah. right? so done. Right. So that's who does that. Or well, Think
1: about Apple, though. When you go to an Apple store no. and you're dying for this person to start selling you something, and they're like, they could give a shit. They're like, I'm just here to help, man. Right. Like
0: you're- well, because their culture <laughs> is on human empowerment. Their culture is based on human empowerment. Not pushy salesmanship.
1: And I'll tell you what, though, their culture, though, in my view, the words, I, I agree with you, everything you said, in my view, I'd add, their culture is also based on differentiation. Yes. They want to be different than the experience you have buying a consumer electronic item anywhere else. Yes. So they're going to be the anti, right, c- typical consumer electronic experience.
0: Yes, yes. And and it is based solely on differentiation. You are you are Correct. I have seen sales moments in live sales moments with Apple, where a customer is upset and complaining. And I'll tell you, the one thing that Apple does a very good job at is never buying into that emotional hysteria. And Apple did a very calm job happening live with a customer near me. I didn't know her, but she was upset about something. And and all they kept saying was, "We're going to take care of this." We're going to right. right? And they did a wonderful job of empowering them that no matter what the answer is, we're going to do this together, right? Right. right. And again, that's yeah. humanizing.
1: That's, and think, think of our local, uh, you know, Cameron Mitchell restaurant. The answer is yes. Yes, right. And the answer is
0: yes. Right. And that's exactly what they were doing. So, okay. So the, you've now talked about uh, the importance of, of humanizing. And uh, we've gone over a little bit about empathy. And the other thing that you and I have talked about, about these things coming, we call them branded cultural organizations. And what does it mean to create a cultural organization from the inside out? Yeah. Some of the things that you and I talked about is sometimes leaderships are built from the outside in, right? And that I know that you personally do is you lead, you start to build leadership from the inside out, right? Mm -hmm. And the outside in, I know both are important to you, but I want you to talk about that internal balance versus that external balance. And do you accomplish these things one right after another? Or do you work on inside first or outside first? How's that work for you from a leadership standpoint?
1: So when we think about organizational development, we think about leaders first, then we think about teams, then we think about culture, and then we think about customer so, and it's not because I'm prioritizing importance in a in a kind of like a that's just the way. ecosystem just think about just think about how you're going to develop an organization Now, think about a band versus a company. A band might have five members company might have five hundred thousand or five thousand or or fifty. The point is you're just developing a bigger brand a bigger band. What does that band need? It needs leadership. why? The leader sets the vision. The leader sets defines the reason why we're here. The leader brings their core values. So the leader does all the things that set the stage. Then what the leader does is build a team. Now, again, we're getting into this concept of servant leadership. The easiest way to understand servant leadership is that we serve a shared goal and we lead others down a shared path to, to that goal. Notice the word shared. <laughs> we are, I'm working with, if I'm leading you, it's important that that I'm taking to a place that I can take you or that I want to take you. I can't sell ketchup to a woman with white gloves, right? This idea that we can sell anything to anybody is bullshit. Right. You can manipulate people, yeah. right. But what we have to have is a- sh- Or bully. Can, yeah. Before I can sell you something, I want to make sure that, what you seek is something that I can deliver. If, if so, then we have a shared goal. Same thing when you're building a team. Why, would I, why on earth would I bring someone on my team who didn't share my vision? It's gonna make my job as a leader that much more difficult or who didn't have the skills, et cetera, or couldn't learn the skills, et cetera. So the idea is the leader sets the stage. Then we build a team that's aligned, shared goal. So I, as a leader, can walk them down a shared path. And so they can step up and walk me down the shared path. Now we're co-leading, we're co-creating. Then comes culture, leader, team, culture, like brand, is not what we say it is. It's what people experience, which is what got you back to Lexus and Apple and our conversations. I can say something and if I don't deliver, then what? Right, Right? The client knows, the employees know. So the brand is a, The the brand-like culture is is built on the experience that everyone has as they work together. And that comes down to ultimately the responsibility of that leader, which is why leaders are the first thing that change when we want to shift an organization's performance, how they operate, how they think, all that stuff.
0: That last point you just made is profound. Um, Obviously, it In everything from rock and roll bands to politics. Uh, That is true. And you're right. Change is at the top. And the things that you just talked about were inward facing. Which I love that. Right? We didn't talk about any of the public relations of any of that. You're just talking about the insides of the anatomy of a brand. And a corporate culture. And team. And this idea of share. So bringing it back to the band question... In your years of concert going, or performances, what was your, what's the last thing, performance? Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, you know, you asked me for my last favorite before we talked. And, uh, you know, I remember being at a Rolling Stones concert with other gray, decrepit human beings, right? Because we're old fans. Yeah. It smells like weed, but you know, and we're on the floor, you know, yeah. outdoors in Toronto, we're watching the, you know, that was one experience. It Is just, that where you saw them? though, Toronto? That was one of the places yeah, I yeah. saw the Stones. The yeah. last place I saw them, and it yeah. was like it was the last tour, right? Yeah, it's always the last. 17th Over 50. Last tour. Yeah. Until you're um, 81, it's always the last. Right. Uh, you know, and you know, I I just thought about um, then we had an experience White Snake. Uh-huh. Wow. In Boston in a small venue. Probably unbelievable. With some dear friends. Now, everybody there was old, but they all had black tight leather on, baby. It was badass, right? It was totally cool. <laughs> and it was dark and it was indoors. That was, that was pretty cool. I think I told you my favorite was my first.
0: Mm-hmm. Your favorite concert was your first yeah. concert.
1: And it was, it's really interesting because it was in high school mm-hmm. with a bunch of friends I don't even talk to anymore. Mm-hmm. Great, great people, but I, we just grew apart. Right. It was Journey. Of course it was. It, and, and like everybody had, you know, we all were coupled up and it was like this high school experience. <laughs> and what was really funny is we got any ticket that we could. So we were sitting, we were actually sitting behind the stage yeah. to the side. Oh. And they did us a favor of having these gigantic speakers pointed right in our faces. Right. <laughs> but it was, you know, it was, it was just journey. It was the environment. It was who we, that we were there with. It was high school. It was the first, you know, time, and, um, and the music was badass. And, right. And, and when you look back at it from here, mm-hmm. you recognize the history that, that it you was, were experiencing. Yeah. That was more than you could even imagine at that age. You could never have appreciated that age. Right. Same thing with, um, I think, of fondly of um, seeing Genesis. Yeah. Peter Gabriel in yeah. concert. Same yeah. kind of thing that you can't replicate those experiences anymore. Those are great answers. So <laughs> let's talk about leadership in that.
0: So, Gabriel as a leader, right? I mean, that, that's right. how the band yeah. split up and he did his own thing. Right. And, and carried on, which is a right. hard thing to do. Right. And then if you look at Journey, I think one of the greatest rock vocalists, certainly ballad rock vocal, the greatest ballad rock vocalist is Steve Perry. That's exa- yeah, exactly right? right. Right? So, those are, to your points, internal leaders who share visions and right. values right. and inspire their audience, their bandmates to come along. True? Yeah.
1: Yeah, You know, it's like, this is so, I'm getting tingly because, (laughs) (laughs) yes, I'm a a leadership and sales geek. Ask me what I do for fun. This is what I do for fun. Right, right. Um, But um, the reason I'm getting excited about this is, you know, going back to your point about the customer, right? Lexus has to know what customer they want and what customer they don't want. Apple has to know what customer they want and don't want. When we sit down with companies, we help them define not their ideal customer profile, the, the ICP. Always. It's the always customer profile.
0: And, and give our listeners an idea of the difference in your mind between an I, the ideal customer profile and an always yeah. customer. Profile. I mean,
1: ideal customer is valuable, yes. But it's a defining kind of like who your company is designed to serve, to right? serve right? That, that ICP. The always customer profile is the customer that when you, now this is sales is game of probability, right? So always mm-hmm. meaning probability, right? But 90% of the time, when you meet this person at this point in their lives, they will buy from you, always buy from you or nearly always buy from you. Same thing with, so, so it's just a different way of looking at how well you understand, not just the demographics and psychographics of who you're selling to or trying to serve, but you're understanding the situation, you're understanding everything about what goes into them making that buying decision. Now, compare that to the, to the bands. It's the what same they thing. They did, dude. I mean, you know, when you, when, you, when you watch interviews of band leaders from, you know, from ACDC to Zeppelin to the Stones to Beatles, whoever the hell you're listening to, they were always talking about how do I differentiate myself? Yes. And you look at the machinations that the Stones went through as they were competing against- Well, they were the Beatles in the beginning. They were both wearing suits. They had to friggin' decide who their customer was going to be. And then they had to go serve them. That is exactly (laughs) correct.
0: Who their customer is going to be and going to serve them. Which brings us back to that first point about what is it that you want the customer to feel, Right. So, some rock and roll offerings or music offerings get you lost in feelings of partying. Other ones, good country song, a form of uh, generational reflection. Right, right. Some tunes, some bands, just a, a, a joyful moment, right? right? You said that when you went and saw Journey, I think the phrase you used with each one of us were paired off. <laughs> <laughs> and what you're saying is
1: we're waiting for the ballads because that's right. what they're, right? yeah it was an experience that you could not replicate anywhere else on the planet to your always customer
0: and one thing i had dr blackwell on the podcast and he yeah. talks about fans from the word fanatical are customers of brands right I, they, yeah right if they happen and he's written many books on this if they happen to be a band or it happens to be goodyear tire or it happens to be hello fresh It doesn't matter. That customer is the ecosystem heartbeat of that brand. The phrase I want to talk to you about now, because I know this is a big button of yours, and I'm going to add an adjective in front of it, being a brand guy, I like my adjectives. But you talk about not only do we want this inward value system, cultural value system in leadership, we also need, as you're talking about customers and fans, this idea of engagement from our volunteers, right? Your employees, Mm -hmm. your stakeholders. How do you get them engaged? Oh my God. Keeping a band after they've had a number of hits, I certainly didn't experience this, (laughs) but getting a band with that many hits, it's hard to keep the band, your volunteers, engaged. Yeah. How do you keep... Mm leaders engaged, and more importantly, the volunteers, the investors, the customers, the employees, all of those people engaged.
1: Yeah. So there's a series of ways you do this, but the first, most important, the one that trumps them all is this concept of fit. Okay. Fit. So um, I have people come to me oftentimes saying, hey, Jimmy, I'm looking for a new job, a new experience. I say to them, great, (laughs) (laughs) you know. What do you want to do? What would turn you on? What would get you up out of bed? Is like, I don't know. I, I understand supply chain. Put me wherever you want me. It's like bullshit, right? I tell them go back to work. <laughs> the point is, if you don't know what turns you on and all you're doing is being a journeyman. There's no fit. Looking for someone to, to put you to work, then you're only ever going to be a fraction Of who you could be. You're only gonna achieve a fraction of your potential. You're gonna be a mediocre or high mediocre performer at best in my organization. Same thing if you buy something from me and the fit isn't ideal. You're not gonna be a raving fan. You might use it and say, hey, this is cool. You might not call me to bitch and complain about it, which might be all I care about if I'm a crappy customer, if I'm a crappy company. But you're not gonna be somebody who brings 75 other customers to my door. So it's really about this idea of fit. So the only way you understand fit is to know who you are first. We talk about a 100% predictable growth, growth curve. curve. How do we do that? Well, you have to understand uh, what is the combination of elements that optimize the predictability of your success. So think about hiring somebody for a team. Do, how well defined is the role that you're going to put them in? <laughs> Right? Have you gone to Indeed and just copied somebody else's job description, changed a few did words? did you really think about this? Right. So it's this idea of how serious, as a leader and as a manager, do we take the, this idea that I'm actually going to pull somebody out of their career, add a change to their resume, bring them into my company, and no big deal. If they don't work out, we'll just get rid of them and replace them. Well, you know what? Fuck you. Pardon my French. <laughs> You're disrupting someone's life. Yes. And you're your selling your brand you're short. metric of friggin' success is don't worry. If they don't work out, we can replace them. Customer doesn't isn't happy with you, don't worry. Don't sweat it. We can replace them. Bullshit. Right. And I'll right. tell you what, this is if you want to know why your company is so amazing and so small, it's because you're missing the humanistic side. You're missing the connection. Yes. You're not investing enough. I could have this conversation in a podcast that I would design. It'd be boring as hell. Here I am on your friggin' podcast, and I'm like a kid in a candy shop, right? My message is going to resonate differently because it's wrapped in your brand. Right. I can be great and be poor I very easily, brother. So it's like we cannot just focus on products and services. We have right. to focus on the whole package, and you have to respect the relationship, the fit you're going to have with the people on your team and the people that you serve, your customers.
0: And I love that you use the word connection because the adjective I was going to use in front of the word engagement is emotional engagement. You and I always talk about suspend the brain to capture the heart, right? It's don't, you, you, you can't overthink it and productize just to monetize. Right. Where's the human eyes in that, right. right? And that's the beauty. That's the, there's all the equity is in what I call that emotional engagement. The equity for, in your case, I'll go back to your scenario. To the customer, brands who do this kind of emotional engagement are better. It's not only to the customer, but it is also to the uh, associates and to the brand itself, right? All of those things have to be that human E of emotional, emotional engagement all the time.
1: Yeah. You know, Brad, and I don't. I'm getting passionate about this, but you're like, I'm a recovering asshole. Okay, so I want everybody to know that I'm not preaching from a pulpit, saying, "Look, be perfect, be no, like me." I'm and not, I, and I only, I'm only passionate about this because I was the other guy. You know, I I grew up in the '80s, man. It was like Gordon Gecko. I know who didn't want to be Gordon Gecko. I know I mean, who I hung out with. I mean, it was a, it was the leverage buyout. It was. By a company, flip and strip rip. Out the, yeah, it was like flip and rip. All those, you know, that ethos is what I grabbed onto, and I spent the first fifteen years of my career practicing dehumanizing behavior until I could, until I realized it was unsustainable. And then, all right, well, I, I,
0: this is why I love talking to you. I have a, <laughs> I have a question all set up, but what you've just now triggered in me, then you would say from what you just said that one of the most important things a leader can have and therefore an organization can have is vulnerability. Right. Right. Because what you're doing and what you're even saying is being vulnerable as hell. Right? Yeah. yeah. And what does vulnerability do to companies when they're vulnerable?
1: Well, it's like Apple. You know, that the person on the phone isn't trying to prove to you that you're wrong or prove to them right. They're not looking for a fight. They're not getting defensive. They recognize that we are human beings. We are flawed. Right, right. And they also recognize it doesn't matter. being. You, you can be right, but you can't be rich at the same time, right? You've got, to be, you've got to be willing to be wrong to recognize that's how we grow. So it's this idea of transparency. So any leader who isn't transparent, who hides stuff, mm. right? Any leader who isn't, who isn't authentic, their true self any leader who isn't vulnerable, and then this idea of accountability. Also, any leader doesn't hold themselves accountable. If you can't do those four things and you can't be honest, you can't live in integrity and you're not going to be attractive to a volunteer to who wants to operate at their highest level of potential. Right. You're only going to be able to build a mediocre team, which is why there's a lot of underperforming companies out there that have great products and services. Yes, yes. So tell me,
0: in leadership, let's say that the leader is, has those four pillars yeah. that you just discussed. Yeah. How does, how is this amplified harmoniously? Mm-hmm. How is this amplified in a sales organization as a leader? How do you amplify that?
1: Yeah. You know, um, so I told you that after about 15 years pursuing that money, uh, I realized it wasn't scalable. And I I hired a life coach. and. Became functional within six months, but I kept that coach <laughs> for about 10 years because I was really interested in studying Yeah, studying this. The, the, issue, the issue is, you know, we can show up and be curious and ask good questions. We can then get the answers that we seek. What do we do with them? Most of us just are kind of like, we use it for entertainment. Ah, good answer. And they move on. We, we create a meme or send a meme or whatever, and we don't do anything with it. We have to apply it. So the, the formula that I use is D plus A equals O. The decisions we make plus the actions we take equal the outcomes we create. It's really basic and simple, but there's so many people out there that gather information and don't do anything with it. Oh, it's true. So if in, a sale, in the context of a sales organization, why don't we collect the data that we know is going to be most predictive of our success? Why don't we compare... What we know about creating a predictable path to success to how we're operating today, ah, that means I have to be transparent and vulnerable. Shit That means I have to be interested in being authentic and recognize the power of that, and then it, ha- it means I have to all, have, also have to hold myself accountable right Oh that's really hard for a lot of human beings to do, yeah. especially people who are who are attached to this idea of being awesome all the time mm-hmm. so we have to, we have to think about. Collecting data and being committed to doing the analysis and then doing something about it. Make the decision, take the action, and create the outcome that right, you seek. Right. Don't just sit there and wish for it. And don't sit there as a leader and bitch and complain when your people can't get there. Right. If you've got an underperforming team, guess what? That team has an underperforming leader. Now, you can either bitch and complain about it, or you can, you can quit your job, or you can do something about it. Right. Seek the insight and the information, the guidance, and then do something with it and elevate yourself and elevate the people around you.
0: That, what you just described, is exactly what components of a brand must do too. It's not only true in leadership, in an organization, but when I'm organizing assets for a brand or our team is organizing branded assets, we're looking for that same kind of accountability, shareability, and be actionable. Take in the data and be actionable with it.
1: The brand is the voice of the leader the the brand is the voice that gives us something to shoot for it articulates the vision that we're aiming for and it gives us the tools that we can use as an organization to actually create followership right to attract those volunteers
0: right not unpromises instead of <laughs> right. that, that's what i term it right because brands make promises every day And when they're not kept, you know the effect of that. You just brought it up with uh, using, you know, Mercedes and BMW in communications. But they're unpromises. Okay, last topic I want to talk to you about. And that is this idea of agility. Yeah. With all the things we've been through with, you know, from pandemic or just up and down in the economy. We are seeing in the brand world, when it comes to customer service, because we're writing mission statements inside mission statements. Not only does the brain have a mission statement, but the customer service people have another mission statement that lives inside that mission statement. And oftentimes that mission statement is democratized, defined, and voiced by one group, those customers, right? The customer. And what we're finding in the landscape of today is there's one word that is the new service. And HR has already picked up on this. And that's this word of agility as a service, agility, right? And I was thinking about this driving to the studio today and you coming on the show. And what does
1: agility mean? How powerful is agility for a leader? Right. I think over the last maybe 15 years, we've been learning what the hell agility really means.
0: Mm. And how to live it.
1: Yeah. And so what I would do is I would suggest to people think first about not just the goal, uh, agility. but think about your goal. So we believe, we, we approach, universally we approach these kinds of questions using this statement. Whatever is born is born for growth. So if I'm thinking about being a servant leader. I like that. I want to I serve your growth and my growth. I know that I can sell you something and you can buy something and we can both be elevated. I can become a growth multiplier. Not a zero-sum game player, where I take from you, you lose and I gain. There's a winner, there's a loser, there's somebody who lives and someone who dies, right? So, if the idea is to deliver and to create growth, deliver growth to someone else and create it for myself. Now, let's think about agility. What's required? What does agility do? Well, we also believe universally. That growth is the mastery of change. Think about any growth curve that you see with the with the jagged line. Hopefully, you know going up, but it can go but down. Not as well. always. When you when you're when you're growing, you rep- you're demonstrating your mastery of change. When you're going down, when you're declining, you're growing. That you've got you've de- you're demonstrating that you've learned. You've got something to learn. So the point is, if growth is a mastery of change, agility is the key to delivering that mastery your organization. So now you have to understand, how do I deliver agility to my organization? We have something called the Growth Multiplier Index. It's a very simple 10-minute questionnaire that everyone in the organization will take, and it will show you how, how diverse the performance mindset is of the people on your team. Would it, it wouldn't surprise you to, to know that You know, small companies tend to hire people, you know, tend to have leaders who hire people just like them. So you don't have a level of diversity. There's not a lot of multiplication. Right, baby. You don't have diversity in the performance mindset, right? This is a different kind of diversity. Performance mindset that that we approach problems with. The more diverse the performance mindsets represented by the people on your team, the more agile your team is because the more likely that team can adjust to the changes the market presents to you. If, you're, if you think and operate one way, then you're only going to be successful when the market and the economy line up in a certain way.
0: And as you know, we have both been serving clients professionally through this, you know, through COVID. And it is, I am proud to say that most of our portfolio has done a wonderful job with not just their leadership, but their brand. in the word that I think is overused in my business, uh, pivoting, it's not that they're smart and agile and they know who they are and it's okay to nuance the brand and the message for the future, whatever that is, because guess, guess what's most important to them? The customer. And they know the customer still loves them and they still love the customer. So they want to multiply to your point. Right. Right. Well, thank you very much for coming to the studio today and being on. We're definitely going to have you back and talk about various other subjects. But thank you again for stopping by and sharing your insights, which are always wonderful for me personally and professionally. And I, I appreciate you. Thank you very that. much.